Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Again, everyone, to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. We are here to learn to become better habitat managers through the guests and experts that we interview. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees. Thank you to my loyal listeners who keep coming back. You guys are the best. Uh, we have another great episode. We are diving into shed hunting today. You know, the deer shed their antlers over the winter and the spring, and they drop. The snow is melting. And there they are. They're appearing. Right now, it's time to get out there and find them. And this episode is going to cover just that. We have my friend Jordan Hanks out of Illinois joining us today. Jordan's a renowned deer hunter. Uh, shot a nice bunch of bucks in his past, as well as been in Buckmasters Magazine. But he's probably an even better shed hunter. Uh, that's where I've learned the most from Jordan over the last couple of years I've known him. Um, this guy knows how and where to look. So we're going to cover the different types of habitat that you can find your sheds in, uh, the different stories and things you can put together once you find them, and the things they'll tell you, and also how exactly it happens, how the shed falls off and, and the deer regrows its antlers, for all of you who do not know. So tune in, guys. We have a great episode here. Jordan Hanks from Illinois. But first, I'd like to thank our awesome sponsors who helped make this show possible. Dip That Hydrographics. Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, and Packer Max line of call to packers. Guys, without these partners of mine, we would not be able to make this podcast near as cool, near as sweet. So thank you guys for supporting us. And lastly, I would like to mention our email giveaway. At the end of this month, we are going to be able to pick one person from our subscriber list and give them an awesome prize. Now, to subscribe, you just have to go on the website, habitatpodcast.com, submit your email address there. So we have a list of all those subscribers, and we're going to be giving away a prize at the end of March. So be sure to go on there, guys, and check it out. Now, without further ado, let's talk shed hunting. It's mid-March with Jordan Hanks. All right, Jordan, are you with me, brother? I'm here, man. Cool. Thanks for joining Appreciate your time tonight, sir. How you been? No, pretty good. Pretty good. Now, uh... Been windy. Windy and cold. Yeah, well, we got the same thing going on here. And it actually sounds like a herd of elephants is running around my upstairs. So if you hear that, I apologize. They, uh, the kids are not to bed yet. Let's put it that way. So, man, you know how we normally start these things off. 
I'll tell everybody a little bit about you. I met Jordan uh, about a year and a half ago. Ended up being a guy just like me. He lives in Illinois and uh, quite the deer hunter and obsessed, passionate outdoorsman. So, Jordan, now that I've given you a little bit of a prequel, let's hear more about it from you, buddy. You know how we start these off. Where are you from? What did you grow up doing, etc. Hey, man, I just, uh, you know, grew up here, South Illinois, worked on family grain farm and just got into hunting at a young age and just loved it. Fell in love with it first chance I had. You know, I, I harvested my first deer when I was nine and my first morning, you know, had the, had that good luck streak for beginning hunter and, you know, that lasted about the first morning and it was about four more years before I was able to take another one, but just grew up down here surrounded by it. Um, Deer numbers back in the late 80s, early 90s were a lot lower than they were. So, you know, my my dad and his friends that hunted, I mean, they harvested some deer, but nothing like the numbers that come later in the 90s and early 2000s. But I kind of grew up, you know, kind of in that era where everybody was still kind of hunting together and the deer herd was starting to pick up and just kind of just fell in love with it, just kind of got infatuated with it and ran my dad crazy with it. And one thing led to another, and here it is, you know, over 20 years later, I'm still doing it and just learning what I can and and taking it as far as I can. Nice, man. And you also uh, have had some success along the way, but you guys, I mean, your dad is a farmer, right? Like, you guys work the ground, you you plant the plots. Like, you, you do more than just hunt. Yeah, that's right. We've always, my family has always farmed, but it, uh, my dad and his brothers and then my grandpa all farmed together, but it, you know, it never was, other than my grandpa, it never was like a sole income. Everybody had their own career and you know, you just, you just farm because that's what dad did. You know, you just, you didn't look to make anything from it. You know, break even was the best and you just, you just did it because that's, that's what dad did and that was the way of life and that's kind of how the thing ran around here. You know, my dad and his two brothers, they, they farmed in the evening or farmed in the mornings and they all three had careers separately, but you know, it just, it's just one of the family farms. You just you don't ask questions. You just do it. Nice, yeah. I uh, I didn't come from a family where where anybody did much of that, so it's all new to me. I mean, you and I were talking about food plot planners the other day, and you were going on like like you were speaking Spanish. I'm just thinking, holy cow, this guy knows his stuff when it comes to that planning or that planner we were talking about the other day. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, you know, at the ATA this year, even I was talking to a few people, it was just how much farming and deer hunting has now, and I'm not saying like right now, you know, in, in the last 10 years, let's call it, maybe before that, but they kind of clashed, you know, is where farming has become a part of deer hunting just as much as the guys who are your big deer hunters are now farming. And you, you take your big name, your guys who do it, you know, on the level that we watch on TV, you're Don and Candy Kiski, you're... Tiffany Leokoski's, I mean, they all farm. You know, whether they farmed and then deer hunted versus deer hunted and farmed. It's all tied together, so it's really cool to be able to see this. It's something I wish I would have pursued it when I was younger. But, you know, around here, you never would have thought that you'd see these these two industries meet like they have. And, I mean, it's it's great because you're helping out the wildlife in one aspect, and in their aspect, you're also, you know, that's your source of income and you're maintaining your own property. It's just it's really neat how, you know, my two – my two loves, the two things I grew up doing have, have finally kind of clashed, and that's what I've last few years been doing for myself is just how can I take these two and mix them together? 
Okay, I know a little bit about this. I know a little bit about that. When I put them together, what happens? Well, as I started putting them together and learning and reading and, and lots of trial and error, you know, things started stacking up. That stage started getting set, and the uh, crops got better, and the deer got bigger. And it, it really played hand-in-hand hand for me. Very nice. Yeah, I think that uh, shows us a good a good uh, timeline, if you will, of, of what you've been up to, you know, growing up in, in Illinois. Now, you had quite the season in 2017. Some folks may have seen you uh, floating around Facebook or Buckmasters Magazine or something like that. Um, tell us about what happened in 2017. Well, 17 was a little different other deer seasons. I went back to my regular job that I've been laid off from for some, for some time, so wasn't going to be able to hunt like I had, you know, but there was definitely a buck that I was after, one I'd had history with, one that I'd, I'd watched grow up in my farm and and just hung close and, you know, he just, he was, he was one of mine. You know, we raised him right here on our farm and he kind of eluded me for a little bit. I did run an arrow in him in the fall of 16 and I uh, did not, did not get him. So, you know, a lot of things playing through my head over that, you know, month and a half. Is, is, is he gone? Is he here? Is he still alive? Did he make it? And then I ended up finding one of the sheds and it was just like right then it was just like, you know, adrenaline hits you. He's still alive. He's here. You know, here comes another year, you know, a storyline, something, something to go after. And just the amount that I knew he blew up in one year was, was pretty impressive, but I had no idea that he would do what he was going to do in the next year. And what year shed did you find out? How old was he when you found that shed? I've got one shed from 2015 when he was, this is approximately two years old. You know, he was not even 120 inch. Mainframe 10 with a split three and a double brow. So, I mean, two year old, you know, standard two year old around here, you know, call him 120. So I just got the one shed. And then after the fall of 16, when I stuck him with a bow and didn't, didn't get him, I found one shed. Knew he was still around, and laying two sheds together, you would not believe it was the same deer. <laughs> other than the deer had his eye poked out, so in all the trail cam pictures, one eye didn't shine. So that okay. was how I could really prove to you it was the same deer. And what and was actually, the size of that second shed? Well, the second shed, oh, of the 16 year, you know, I really thought that deer was in the 140s. But after it's all said and done, and I have both sheds, he was actually uh, 154 with a 15-inch spread. Oh, wow. So he actually was about 10 inches bigger than I was even thinking he was. And that's just, he was really heavy. But, you know, I always look at a deer, and I try, okay, I think he's this big, and then I try to talk myself down a little bit because they always look bigger on us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have hey, got a couple. Hey, come to Michigan once, man. We'll, we'll show you how to add 20 inches to a deer. There you go. There you go. But, uh, yeah, he ended up blowing up and uh, really growing, and, and trail cam pictures told it all. I laid eyes on him in velvet, and then from that point on, I got the trail cameras fired back up and started getting on him. And the first true picture I had of him after I seen him through binoculars one night, I just it was just like, oh, my gosh. I mean, eyes blind, it's definitely him, got the black eye. But it's just like, how big is this deer? And even this time, I'm cutting him short. I mean, while I was hunting, the few people that knew about him that I was close with and, you know, hey, here's this, what do you think about this? Because you share your intel with your close buddies, 
or surrounding neighbors that you trust, and you're working together, and you're also kind of getting someone else's input or thought. Or, you know, while I'm at work, hey, did you happen to go by the bean stubble field last night? Yeah, there was a nice buck out there with three does. Okay, thanks. I mean, you all kind of work together. I mean, you try to, but even then I was cutting this deer short. You know, I was saying 180. I think like, by the week before I killed him, when I knew he had 24 points on him, I told a couple of people, I'm like, I think he's going to push 190. And uh, he actually surpassed that. And ended up grossing out at at a 202 and seven eight. 201 and seven eighths been a Crockett. He netted 198 and two eighths, and he BTR'd Buckmaster at 214 and five eighths. And that was with two of his 24 points broke off. So I mean, the deer that I was able, the deer that I was able to watch grow up, have sheds to, was able to kind of not so much keep him safe because I didn't have him tied to a tree or nothing, but I just, you know, give him everything you think he wants and basically live right beside him without him knowing it. If anything, of all the deer I've hunted, if anything, I gave this deer, I gave him space. Yeah, that's, I mean, he's a true giant, man. It's a, it's a beautiful deer. How many scoreable points did he have? He had 24 before he busted up. Good, man. Uh, wow. He's got 20, 23 countable. One of the splits on his uh, G2 or P2, whatever, whatever scoring system you're talking about, it broke off. And then he had a big kind of a club that came out between his, over his forehead, between antlers. He broke all that off, which uh, is really neat because when I found one of the sheds, he had a big skull plate, like, chipped off. And, you know, I've seen a lot of guys find sheds with big old pieces of skull on there, and you're thinking, man, the deer's got to bleed. Does he survive? You know, what's, what's it do next year? Well, what this deer did, he broke off a good – half inch three quarter inch piece of a skull when he shed this antler it was a pretty heavy antler he had good mass you know at that year in 15 he had a uh, five inch bases on him i'm sorry 16 he had five inch bases on him so he snapped a piece of this off so the whole time as the seasons you know through the summer and i'm you know i'm hoping to see him get hoping to get on him i'm back in my mind thinking what's this going to do to him you know he may just have a big old flop on one side he may have one big spike you know you always see those running around the mud balls but what he'd done was he had the brow time and he had the double. He had, he's got trip brow time on that side, and he had trip brow time that side the year before. So from 16 to 17, he kept that triple brow time. But where that skull plate fracture was, he threw a big point out the back that splits into two, and he threw that big palmated club out between his over his forehead. So it didn't affect his actual antler growth as far as I mean, he still got a main beam, still a mainframe ten. You know, his kickers all kind of match on both sides, but it did at the base throw some major trash on there. So, it, it, I mean, it was really, I was kind of thinking, once he, I seen that break, I'm like, man, he may do something just totally gnarly, or he may hold his composure. And for the most part, he held his composure, but threw on some more, some more trash at the base. Okay, so as you guys, the listeners, can tell, Jordan is pretty, uh, pretty into these deer. And it was lucky enough to shoot this giant. Um, so what happened next, man? Well, man, just Facebook and, you know, social media is kind of a double-edged sword at times, but things just blew up. Phone, phone started ringing, and, you know, I never planned to be nobody's tester, know what I was doing. Just just did what I like to do, what I enjoyed to do, and try to better myself at it. But it's definitely made a lot of new friends, a lot of new acquaintances. You know, it's it's been fun. It's been fun to talk about it and meet other people and hear their stories and yeah, of course. But and one of the things you were into, which we're going to talk about here tonight, you were into before this deer was even on your radar, right? You've been 
shed hunting for a long time. How many years have you been shed hunting? Uh, it was quite a while. I think I was probably 11 years old, maybe 12. I think I was 11, and I was riding my four-wheeler. You know, I've been hunting for two years now, just gun hunting. You know, I wasn't really big enough to pull a bow back. And then, you know, in 96, 97, 98, the bows all in were, you know, 36-inch axle axle and 29-inch draws, you know. They didn't make oh, bows yeah. really fit us back then. So everybody, you know, at that point basically smacked their arm every time they hunted. But we still went. But uh, I was back riding my fuller one time in the woods just because that's where I went all summer long. I hang out at the farm all day with my grandpa, and I just go to the woods. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing back there. But as long as I stayed within the fence, I knew where I was at. And uh, I was riding my fuller one day, and I found a deer antler. And it was an old, chewed-up deer antler. It, it would have been a nice one, a four-point side. And it was all white and old and chewed down by squirrels and mice and had, you know, some green moss on it. But it was like it just clicked, like a light bulb went off. It's like, you mean I can get their antlers and not have to shoot them? <laughs> and it was just like a whole new world opened up. And, you know, this is back before, you know, Internet, social media. So when I started getting the North American Whitetail Magazine and, you know, I had all the all the real tree tapes and watching and learning and reading and, and yeah, I knew the antlers fell off, but I, it never crossed my mind to pick them up. And from that point on, I just started looking. And I was just looking at nowhere to look. And as the years progressed, I found where to look and, and how to look and what to look for. And it kind of graduated from there. And I mean, there's guys that have, you know, ginormous collections compared to what I have. But a lot of mine that I have have come off, you know, our property, bucks that I've hunted in the past or bucks that I've seen. And some of them bucks I've have no idea who they are. They just happen to walk across our property and drop their antler. But uh, that's kind of where it all started. It was just I just found one one day, and it was just like a light bulb went off. Uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. I uh, I don't have a very large collection here in Michigan. I've actually never found a shed. I've been with a couple of guys where we found some, but in Michigan, never found any. They get they get chewed up usually before. I tend to find them, uh, or, or at least the places I hunt, or I think the deer are not wintering in some of the spots where I hunt, so the sheds aren't there, you know. Um, yeah. But we'll get into that. I I want to talk all things shed hunting, and I want to start out next. Uh, can you define, like, what is shed hunting? Why do deer drop their sheds? Uh, what can make them drop when and, and the time frame and whatnot. Just just basics for someone who maybe hasn't heard about it before. You know, there's a lot of reasons and a lot of theories on why deer drop antlers. And and uh, some that kind of hold true is that through the spring and summer months, your days are getting longer, right? Your sunlight, your time change. We have time change here in Illinois. Today yeah, we get longer. Too. Yep, same here. The increase of the daylight triggers the hormones, right, which is encourages the growth of their antlers. So as you get into the fall days, your days start getting shorter. Okay, shorter days is what causes an increase in testosterone. This increase in testosterone is what causes the bucks to go shed their velvet. They're like, hey, it's time to clean up and get ready to start, you know, battling and showing the ladies for the rut. Yeah, right? okay. So as the rut goes on, the rut, the rut peaks. They're, they're running themselves to death chasing. I mean, everybody knows that. If you've ever hunted a rut and hit it just right, it may only be, a day you get to do it, but it's it's just it's like madness in the woods, right? Yep. So after the rut, the buck has a decline in his testosterone. That decline triggers hormones that kind of reabsorbs the calcium in the bone around the pedicle. So after some time of this reabsorbing of all this calcium and the decrease in testosterone, he just it weakens and he drops his antler. Yep. 
and that kind of goes into play also. And what I've noticed, kind of one of my theories, is if you have a young doe herd, and I'm saying, you know, a young doe who was bred late, right? So she's now going to be a two-year-old doe who's going to fawn late. So now you have this later fawn. You know, you see him when you're hunting, these small ones. She's going to cycle later than these older does. So, you know, what you hear, your second rut, your third rut, you know, you hear guys talk about that. Well, you got yeah. this, this, this late doe cycling, right? Let's say she doesn't, get, she doesn't get stuck in that first cycle. So 28 days later, she cycles again. And say she does get bred. Well, it's 28 days later. She already cycled late. 28 days later, you're in the end of December now. And, you know, she's still cycling, maybe even January. And what it is, is this buck is still smelling this estrus. He's still smelling his pheromones. He's still, he's still in it. He's still in the game, right? On years, I've noticed where I've seen a later rut or a young doe herd, the deer seem to hold their antlers longer because they're not getting that decrease in testosterone. That would make sense because um, the decrease is what causes them to to shed. Now, is that true? Is that your theory? Have you heard others say that? I don't know I've much heard about others. that having, so I don't really know. Talking about the testosterone levels? I mean, there's a lot no, of people getting up on that. The, on the younger, the younger, yeah, the younger does, doe, yeah. Yeah, there's quite a few people talked about that. And things I mean, I've read and it also what I've noticed. Yeah. 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 But there's other things also that play into, you know, a deer dropping early even would be, Malnutrition, uh, being wounded, being just a ran down from the rut, which would kind of, I guess, play into malnutrition, just more or less wore out. Like, he's over it, you know. <laughs> he's, he's done he's done looking. He's calling it quits. And, like, my, my, my big buck, I found that one shed. I actually found it kind of early. Well, I had stuck him with a bow that year. So, you know, that, that could have been a reason why he may have got a little, got a little slow, a little down, and, and maybe maybe dropped it. But I, I did find that, that antler kind of early. And, like, last year my dad found one that was really early. He found it down here January 7th. And uh, the deer ended up being fine and healthy. I don't know why he shed it, but he did. And there's a, a neighbor here that picked up a set this year off one of his farms. He picked it up, like, the week of Christmas, which is extremely early for us. But the deer, he's had history of sheds and photos. He knew that the buck was around nine years old. So maybe age also plays into it. There's so many theories and so many up and downs and so many beliefs. I mean, and every person might tell you something different, and every person may see things differently. But that's kind of what I'm, kind of what I base it off of, and what I what I look for. I kind of watch what the rut does. And uh, as far as when they shed, I mean, you know, they're going to shed in the spring. I, I typically don't start looking in January. My, my date is Valentine's Day, and some years I've found a few before then. You know, stumble across them, find them from the road, driving down the road in a pickup truck, or or Valentine's Day, just go out then, and I'm finding them. Okay, been there for a little while because they're chewed up or they're they're washed off. And I've also found them with blood still on them where they've been there less than 24 hours. There's just there's every year is different, and just like every hunting season is different. You know, the weather's never the same, the rut is never the same, and you know, eight out of ten times a deer are never the same. So it's really just kind of hit and miss and just kind of watch them. And a real best way to watch to make sure you don't pressure anything is just your trail cams. Leave them out after after December. You know, don't, well, those season's over, gun season's over, I'm going to pull my cameras. Leave them out there. And that way you can, you know, go back there and check it. And, well, there's three bucks that are still holding antlers. Okay, so you go back a week or two later, and now you got one buck who's half-racked. Okay, it's maybe time to start looking. 
Yeah. But that's the best way you can really pinpoint when to go is just you got to have eyes on them. And the best way to have eyes on them, you know, this day and age is trail cams. And, I mean, it's definitely an advantage over what we had when, you know, you and I started hunting. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's for sure. And uh, I think also it depends on where you're located in terms of, like, like the country. So guys up in Michigan and Minnesota where we have real, real hard winters, and, I mean, even Illinois, it gets cold as hell there too. Um, you know, those bucks are going to drop earlier most of the time than – a deer, you know, down south, the southern boys are where, you know, there's longer growing seasons for the crops and uh, you know, more browse available. I think that has to do something with it too, from from what I've read. Yeah, um, and that kind of plays back into the rut also because yeah, you're you right. guys rut before us to where down the southern states rut after where I'm at. If yeah. you do any kind of Facebook on any kind of social media shed hunting apps, them boys in Minnesota, Michigan are, are all of a sudden December. They're putting up sheds. Right. And then next thing you know, it's March and April, and the guys down in Texas are picking them up. So that, and you think about it, your rut kind of runs later. And, I mean, you're exactly right on the whole weather pattern and feeding and grazing also. But it kind of plays into, like, how my theory was with just the rut and having a young herd sometimes. Yeah. Nope, that makes sense to me. Um, matter of fact, when I was hunting in Illinois this fall, uh, the last morning, I had a deer out in the beans in front of me um, after daylight, still eating. And I thought, wow, I've hunted two other mornings and have not seen a deer in the morning. Yet this one's out here munching. Big body. Man, that was a big doe, you know. Huge. Well, I look at the hawks through my scope and the hawks are all stained. And I'm like, I don't think does, you know, stained hawks on their leg and looking around and sure enough man it was a shed buck he had shed already and this was december 9th mm-hmm. so the guy down there who i was talking to said uh yeah could have been injury you know could have been age could have been something because I mean, he was gigantic body um he was the only deer out there eating it was like eight degrees but because of the malnourishment or wounded or whatever he was he was he was in daylight eating when every other deer had gone back to bed, so he needed it more than they did, you know. Oh yeah. So, so I, I, a lot of your a lot of your points are holding true from what I've seen, which hasn't been a ton in the shed hunting world. Um, moving right along, why do you shed hunt? Why do you like to shed hunt, and uh, why do other people shed hunt? What are some reasons that you know, besides having a a nice four point side in front of me right here that I'm holding? I mean, I it's awesome, but like, why do people do this? I do it just, I mean, it got into a hobby. It got into kind of exercise. You know, the winter months when you're sitting in a deer stand the last three or four months, you kind of need to get out and stretch a little bit and just covering the ground. And not only am I shed hunting, I'm scouting. I'm seeing, I'm going in places like my bedding areas and certain draws that I don't go in during hunting season unless maybe I'm, I'm blood trailing. I just, I, I stay out of those areas. Shed season, I'm kind of slipping in there. I'm doing scouting while I'm looking. I'm finding new rub lines. I'm finding scrapes that I didn't know existed. And uh, I like, of course, I like collecting antlers, but I like getting them off off my property, off my farm. And when you can start getting after a buck and start getting characteristics of, of a deer, whether it be a split brow tine, you know, a split G2, kickers, drop tines, and they don't always hold them from year to year. Some people argue with that. I've, I can show you side-by-side sheds where 
He had it one year, lost it one year, and had had the third year. But I just like to put a storyline with him. And, you know, someday if I get a chance to harvest this deer, then, you know, I have the storyline with him. I'm not just hunting any deer. I'm kind of hunting a deer. And it's, it's almost like a mental game. It's more like a – it's a pretty good challenge. I mean, it is hard to kind of pick out one deer and say, I'm only going to shoot this one. And uh, I've only done that one time, and that was in 17. Usually I go through my pictures and my sheds and kind of what I'm seeing and well, how old I think a deer is, and I'll pick, okay, these are my top three. These are the three I'm going after. You know, no way I can kill two bucks, so I'm, whether it be firearm or archery. So I, I pick out three. If I have three, there have been years I haven't had three I, that I would consider shooting, but and I just go from there. But being able to put a storyline with one, it just makes everything that much more better. It just makes your story better. It just makes you more more confident, kind of fulfills everything, you know, whenever you can just sit back and look, here he was this year and here he was this year. And, you know, here and this year I found him over, I found his sheds over here on this farm, but I shot him a mile over here on the, in, in this intro, you know. And I've done that before. I've found a shed off a buck, and I, I harvested that buck almost a mile away. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's pretty awesome. And I, if you can get a history with a buck, I mean, it just makes the story that much better. And most of us, or a lot of us, are in it for that story. You know, we love that that year-to-year passion, the January to December, I mean, the whole thing, not just, you know, a piece of antler. All school, and then, uh, you know, but some guys do that. I mean, they're they're collectors too, right? Or what else do people do with these things? Yeah, I mean, they collect them. There's antler buyers. You know, when I was in high school, you know, after I was getting where I was shed hunting every year, you know, I was freshman, I was, you know, 13, 14 years old, you know, eBay come to be, you know, internet was all, all new. And you go on eBay and these antlers were selling for ridiculous amounts of money. You know, chandelier makers, knife handle makers, Bass Pro, Cabela's. Well, as the years progressed, you know, you got – you got, you know, there's deer chandeliers now. Most of them are fake, but there's still quite a bit of value in, in deer antlers, especially larger deer antlers, odd deer antlers, or even record-setting deer antlers. There's quite a bit of money. And when I was out west in Colorado, out there, they sold antlers. And I want to say, and don't quote me on this, this, is, this has been 10, 12 years ago, I think okay, there's wet and dry. Dry is basically like the old white antler you found. It's been laying out there sunbleach for a couple of years, and the wet would be a fresh antler. I want to say mule deer was like $12 a pound, and elk may have been like $8 a pound. I mean, but oh, this is 10, pound, 12 years huh? ago. Yeah, this is wow. like 10, 12 years ago, though. And this is, you're talking about big guys who are, you know, pulling in by the truckloads. But, no, there are markets out there for antlers, and there are big-time antler collectors. I mean, if you go through some antler, um, shed antler record books, you know, you'll see that, like, the top 30 antlers, there may be four of them owned by the same guy. I mean, these are these are collectors that are big-time collectors that are collecting certain sheds or certain sheds of certain bucks, you know, bucks that have been harvested, you know, so-and-so that's a, let's say it's a Kansas state record. Well, this guy had the shed to it. So this guy purchased it. I mean, there's, there's a big infatuation out there with, with deer antlers that, that may go beyond what some people think. And then there's people like me that know all about this stuff and know hundreds of times more information than I know about it. You know, I just know what little I do here and what little I see, but uh, there's a big market out there. Very interesting. I didn't really know that. I mean, you see them, you know, I guess now that you say that, chandelier makers, knife handles, this and that, but uh, that's just, that's pretty interesting. And you you were telling me there's a record book for sheds. 
as is well. It? Like like Boone and Crockett has one. Pope and Young has one. You're saying there's one for guys who find sheds too. Is that correct? There is a record category for sheds, like in the BTR, the Buckmaster BTR system. They have a uh, they have a separate part of the record record book for shed antlers, and they're they're categorized just like the racks that are scored normally for racks in the BTR system. You, know, you got your perfect, your typical, your your uh, semi irregular, and your irregular, and basically you just score the shed the inches under the BTR system. And you know what separates a perfect from a typical is, say you've got a uh, five point side with a with a kicker on the G2, right? Well, that kicker is an abnormal point. So you deduct the percent of kicker. What percent of that rack is abnormal? If it's under uh, 0.9, is considered perfect. You know, if it's a 1.1 to 5.5 percent abnormal, it's considered typical. If it's 10 percent, I'm sorry, if it's 5.6 percent to 10.8 percent abnormal, it's considered semi-irregular, and anything over 10 percent abnormal is considered irregular. Oh wow! So this is serious. Yeah, and like if you go to like the North American Shed Hunters Club, they also have four categories. You know, they got their whitetail under whitetail. They got their uh, matched non-typical sets. And non-matched, same way with a typical and non-typical single. They score the single, and they score the matches. And uh, these, and under the North American Shed Hunters Club, I mean, these are without spreads, right? I mean, like number one in their record book would be the Nebraska General. You may have seen it. You know, in 1959, these sheds were picked up. It's a six by six without a spread. You know, it nets 195 and one eighth. That is without a spread. That is just two antlers. Holy cow! You know, it was, like I said, it was found in 1959. It took a couple of years for the surface, and I believe the story with that deer was it hung up somewhere and probably dried because deer antlers will shrink and dry, and that's why when you get an official scoring done by Boone and Crockett, you have, or even Pope and Young, you have to wait 60 days because these antlers are drying. You know, they're not no longer wet. Like if you find a real fresh shed, it'll have some weight to it, and you find the shed almost the exact same size but it's been over two or three years, it's really light. It's dried out. Even my sheds I keep inside, I can tell they're lighter than they was the day I found them. Huh. But I mean, I mean, yeah, 195 and an eighth and two antlers without a spread. I mean, yeah, they say this deer. I I think I read one time they said they considered the spread to be like 20 something inches on it, and they said the deer would have he would have grossed around 228, possibly netted in like 215. Well, that's bigger than Milo Hansen's buck. Granted, Milo Hansen shot his deer later than that, but. You know, another one, that's a 6x6. Six six. The number one 5x5 five five is the Fleming Shed, Saskatchewan, Canada, 1983. Which, where did Milo Hansen's buck come from? Saskatchewan, Canada. Yeah. You know, less than 10 years later. You know, this buck, 5x5 five five sheds, 181 and 2 eighths net. That's net. That means deductions have been taken out. They, you know, they've estimated this rack with a spread. You know, they can took the rack and made replicas and mount on a skull plate. And... You know, they estimated 207 and 2 eighths. Okay, this was prior to Milo Hansen, right? So the world record buck is James Jordan, 206 and 1 eighth. This deer's sheds with the estimated spread was 207 and 2 eighths. So, I mean, huh. this just goes to show there are deer out there walking that are larger that have been harvested. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, to me, finding their antlers, I mean, I mean, finding antlers off mine was definitely harvesting him was definitely the better end of the deal, but <laughs> finding the antlers was, you know, having something that size, you know, yeah. having something to show, you know, 
especially on a deer that I had hunted and, and, you know, food plotted and tried for. It's like, look what I've done, you know? So how about this? Here's one for you. So I shot my buck in Nebraska in 2013. I believe it was November 3rd. I found a shed to him November 5th. You shot him on the 3rd and found a shed on the 5th? Yeah, from the year before. Well, here's a story for you. My big buck, I found the one side. I shot that deer on a Friday evening. Saturday morning, my cousin texted me and said, hey, I found the other side of your deer. No way. After you yeah. shot him? Yeah, after I shot him. So, so both of us have a shed that was found after the bucks were shot. Yes. How often does that happen? Apparently twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more often than I thought. Darn. All right, well, that's not very cool. No, that's but, awesome, uh, man. I uh, We were tracking my buddy's buck, and sure enough, under this, under this little conifer, this little pine out there, one shed laying there, and uh, he was, you know, he was bedding against that pine in the wintertime, and and sure enough, I held it up to my buck, and it's exact match, just a little bit narrower, tall, tight, um, you know, just just a year younger, and I I got the mount, I got the shed. It's really cool to have something like that in addition to the mount itself and and the venison and. I mean, yeah, it just goes with cool. the story and goes with yeah, another piece story. of the puzzle, I mean, it, right? It adds up. Exactly, piece yeah. of the puzzle. It's like, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And uh, shed hunting, a lot of times, uh, I find sheds off bucks that I didn't know existed that may have been just passing through wintering on me. Right. On the other hand, I have these velvet pictures of bucks that have now disappeared during season. They're rutting somewhere else. It's right. like, well, I have all these velvet pictures, but he's gone. And then turn around, and I find a shed. And it was like, where in the world have you been the last three months? Well, I think I like that better because I got some velvet pictures too, of, or not? Oh, not even velvet, but yeah, some velvet too of uh, some nice bucks, and they're gone. I think I'd rather have the shed, and uh, than the picture. But the pictures are nice. Yeah, I had this one big old gnarly seven pointer that he was huge, heavy seven, but he was just heavy. Had a lot of velvet pictures of him. I mean, I was on him. He's in standing corn. It was coming up deer season. I'm ready. Well, we were shelling the corn in our field, and my buddy was shelling the corn next to me, and he actually kicked the buck out of the waterway. So here I am shelling corn on the backfield, and he ran right in front of me. My dad was in the combine. I said, that's that big seven. He was hardhorn. Wow. Like, he's right here. He's right here. Well, I never seen him again. Never got pictures again. Pulled the corn out. He left, right? Yeah. I'm shed hunting. Well, he's bedding in there, yeah. I'm shed hunting, and I'm three-quarter of a mile away from where I have seen this deer, and I find a shed out there in the middle of the field. It was like he has either been here the entire time and not walked by any of my cameras or any of my stands while I was sitting in them. But I'm like, where has he been? And uh, they're just, you can put stories of deer. If you're lucky enough to get returning deer and have a piece of property that you can do it on, and you don't have to have a big piece of property. If you ever notice, okay, your bucks are a bachelor packed in the spring, right? Summer, they're all they're together. And then here comes your rut, and here comes your hard winter, and you see all your deer kind of congregate to one. You start seeing these big herds of deer in the fields. And then all of a sudden, you kind of start seeing the bucks kind of break off again. Like, you'll be in the same field, but there'll be like seven bucks together, and over here is like 26 does. They're kind of breaking off again a little bit. Yeah, I don't I don't see fields like that. Where's that field? Because I'm going to come on it. <laughs> come on down. That's but, awesome. No, I see what you're saying. So you're saying they, they jump back into their bachelor groups sometime while they're wintering or yarding up or what? Yeah, and if you got that piece of property they're wintering in, whether it be a finch row or some honeysuckle or a draw or a ridge top, I yeah. mean, you got a chance to find a multiple sheds there in that bedding area. Nice. You know, so you're saying where there's one, there may be more. 
Oh, yeah, it's just like finding real mushrooms. You find one, there's going to be more because one deer is not walking around by himself in this piece of timber. Right. There's more deer with him. And it's the same way like finding real mushrooms. If you're mushroom hunting, after you find one, your eyes kind of get keened in. They do. And you start, you start spotting them. Same way with deer antlers. Once you know what to look for, them curvatures, that white shine, uh, the, the tines, you know, you see them three and four tines sticking up. Once you kind of learn what to look for, then you start spotting them. And the next thing you know, you're spotting them 30, 40, 50, 100 yards away sometimes. And, uh, so your eye kind of gets trained to what you're looking for. Exactly. And okay. what I do when I find my first shed of the year, I'll walk around, I'll throw it behind my back, and then I'll turn around and I'll find it again. And I'll throw it up in the air and I'll turn around and I'll find it again. Just I'm, I'm retraining myself because it's been a year since I've done this. Wow. Now, one time I'd done that, I threw the antler and turned around and couldn't find it. <laughs> so then I'm like, oh, no. no way. You know, I had no proof of it, and I actually walked around there for about an hour before I found it again. That's hilarious, dude. And it was laying 10 feet away from me. I just could not find it. <laughs> but, yeah, just train okay. your eyes. Okay, so moving towards, uh, you know, we're getting to the gear you use to shut hunt and some tips on how to do it and where you do it, what type of habitat, et cetera. Um, let's start out with gear quick. Uh, you know, when we were talking, I was kind of surprised when you said gear. Um, I thought people just were out walking. But what do you bring when you go shot hunting in terms of gear? And if somebody wants to get into it, what should they bring? My number one, do not leave the house without it, is my binoculars. Because you can glass and catch that shine, and you can see them. And before I started carrying binoculars, I'd see something, oh, there's an antler. And I'd walk all the way across the hill, get over, and it'd be a stick. Well, shoot, now I want to walk back to where I started. Oh, there's one. Walk all the way over there. Oh, it's another stick, or it's corn stalk. So I started carrying binoculars with me. And then I started looking and be able to tell if it was an antler or not. But I mean, I found them from the pickup truck and just stopped in glass and fields. And you see them tines sticking up. Or it'll be, you know, right face down, and you'll see that curvature of the main beam. And, you know, you're spotting them out there 100, 150 yards away sometimes. I'm like, oh, there's one. Park the truck, walk over and pick it up. So binoculars is my number one thing. I carry them. I found a lot through binoculars. Uh, another important thing is a good pair of boots. I mean, you're going to be covering a lot of miles. You won't be comfortable. You know, around here, a lot of it's muddy, so I wear a lot of rubber boots, which is not ideal. But a good pair of boots helps, and something with a good solid sole, because if you walk a lot of state ground, you know, like state ground where I live, a lot of these parks are old farm homesteads. So you're walking through through the brush, and you find a little pond, right, a little spring. Well, that's a good place to look for deer antlers, because when the buck's his pedicle's loosening up, He's go down and gets a drink. He's shaking his head, taking a drink, drops an antler. I found okay. quite a few antlers around little ponds, you know, in, in fingers and in, in the middle of timber. But also, all these old farm homesteads, you also find a lot of glass, you know, a lot of old busted crocs, a lot of trash. So, you know, you don't want to be out there walking and be miles from your truck and run a piece of glass to your foot. Or a, honey, or a honeysuckle. You know, I'm not starting a honeysuckle, but a, a cawthorn trees. These trees got great big old big old thorns on them you don't want to run one up the hill your foot you know whenever you're miles from the truck so a good solid pair of comfortable boots is definitely a must but my, my number one is binoculars and then if i'm going for like an all day i'm gonna spend some time i'm definitely taking some water with me whether it be a bottle of water or you know maybe a backpack with one of them water bags in it you know i usually don't get that extensive i'll just carry a bottle of water or two with me and uh, a piece of rope a piece of paracord because you're not always going to find a lot of antlers, but there has been times where I've, you know, found five or six in a walk, and now I'm trying to 
carry all these antlers. So, you know, a backpack, well, sometimes you find a big one. They don't fit in a backpack. So I carry a piece of paracord that I can tie around the base, loop them together, kind of throw it over my shoulder if needed. Yeah. Okay. You know, just little thing. It's light. You know, something I can throw in my pocket if I don't need it. You know, I'm not dragging a big belt around with me or a holster of some type. But, but just comfortable. Uh, briar chaps is a good one. Like, I got a pair of briar bibs I wear sometimes. But briar chaps, like, you wear when you're upland game hunting. Because you're going to get in them spots to where the deer are bedding these tickets. And if you're going to go in there, you're going to get it up. You're going to get tore up briars. So, I mean, briar chaps, good boots, binoculars, water, snacks. That's if you're if you're going to spend all day in it. Okay. You know, be, no, that's awesome. For it. That's I mean, awesome. Just like, just like deer hunting. You're going to be out there all day. Be prepared for it. Okay. Now, next would be you get to your property or the state ground, wherever you're going to shed hunt. Where do you start? You, you park the truck, you get all dressed, you get going out there. What type of habitat are you looking for to shed hunt in? I'm hitting the food first, you know, uh, agriculture fields. I'm hitting the food first because at this point in time of the year, you know, the rut's over. The deer are food water, right? They're just in survival mode. They're regaining from the rut. So food water, food water, bedding area. I'll start out the food, the food, the, the water, I'm sorry, the, uh, the field edges, agriculture fields, because it's where they're feeding in, whether it be night or day, but I can walk that and I can walk it quick and I can glass with binoculars and I can cover a lot of ground quickly. And then after I kind of cover that, then I'll start moving back into the timber or maybe, you know, the, the, the thicker weed patches. And then that point, I'm walking the deer trails. And I'm also walking the points. You know, like if you're hunting a buck, you ever notice a lot of times they don't walk around the point. They'll walk through it to the next field. Find them points like that. And I've done it before. You walk in there at a point and say you're – you're in there 30 yards, and there's an antler laying there because he was either bedded there in that point looking out amongst the fields or crossing through. But a lot of it is just a lot of it is just walking, walking, walking. So and is it more walk, food or, or bedding related or, or kind of a split between both? I mean, I find more in the food because the bedding areas sometimes are so thick you've got to step on them. And I have done. I've okay. tripped over antlers. Be out shed hunting and trip over one and be like, oh, I'm real good at this. So trip over one. So th- there might be more or as many in the bedding areas. They're just harder to find because they're not lying on a, a, a trimmed down bean field from the fall past or, or what have you. A little easier exactly. to find them on the food. Okay. And in a bedding area, you're just taking a chance of him just sitting there and him just shaking his head asleep and falling off. To where when he's feeding, he's down there eating you know, that fresh green growth that's come up from a prior rain or he's eating, you know, some, some grain that's fell out of the combine, his head's shaking. You know, you, you watch deer eat acorns, they kind of bob their head back and forth. Well, the whole time he's doing that, his pedicle's been loosening now for a few weeks. It's the same aspect drinking water. His, his head's moving, his head's bumping. But yeah. uh, I definitely hit the field edges first just because I can cover a lot of ground quick. And anytime I, I know where a fence is, that's got good deer runs, I walk that fence. Because if he's knocking it off eating or drinking, what do you think he's going to do when he jumps that fence? Yeah. Yeah, I can jumps, see that for sure. Jumps a creek. You know, a good creek crossing you have in your property. You know where they cross here a lot. That's a good spot to look. So when he lands, and he's coming the, down pretty hard, and that jolt just knocks the antler right off his head. That's correct. And the same way with waterways. They're jumping the waterway. 
um, road ditches. They jump the road ditch and it's laying in the road ditch. You know, that, I found a few of them like that. A lot of guys I know have. They're driving down the road. Did you see that? Walker sideways and the deer antler laying there in the road ditch because the bus was <laughs> running through there. Got them a car, so he bolted and his antler fell off. Yeah. But the bedding areas, I mean, I find a, I probably found a few in some grass. They're just a little harder. But I'm kind of leery against that just because I don't like going to my bedding areas. I don't like doing that. The only time I'm in there mostly is if I'm blood trailing. I just that's that's theirs. They lose it in there, you know. It, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. I try to give them their space, you know, because if you slide, if you slide in there and you bump the deer out of your property because you jumped the gun and you want to shed hunt early, that's why I say it's real good to keep your trail cameras out so you know when to go in, because you don't want to walk in there and all of a sudden you bust all your deer out. I mean, yeah, they're going to come back in a day or two or three, but this pedicle's loosening. You just busted him out of there, and now he's over on neighboring property. And before he comes back, he's dropped his antlers. Now your neighbor's got him. So if, yeah, he's, if he's Mark sitting Drew right just there, said the same thing water, in the last podcast, so that makes perfect sense. If he's got food and water, and you know he's living right there on you, if you leave him alone and be right there on you, he has no reason to leave. He'll shed on you. And I mean, some of my personal property, I'll wait till the last minute. And I may find sheds that are chewed up by squirrels or mice because I waited too long. But at the same time, it's better than not having it at all, especially when I'm trying to build that storyline. Okay. Now, are there any other types of habitat that you look in when you're shed hunting? Anything that sticks out? Uh, South-facing slopes. Oh, okay. Because, you know, they're laying there in the daytime. That's where that sun sun heat's hitting, that south-facing slope. That's where they're bedding a lot. It's not your thick, nasty, burly bedding area. It's just a nice oak ridge on a south-facing slope. And, yeah, uh, very nice. And walk deer trails. I mean, you just walk your hardwood deer trails because, I mean, if that deer trail goes from food and water, no matter what distance, and they're traveling it, you know, they ain't saying he's going to walk through there and catch a tree limb and it's going to knock it off. So is that like a, a good spot to start for a guy like me? It would just be to walk, walk deer trails after you check the the crop fields. Yeah, yeah, okay. and uh, always play your sun. Let that sun get up. Put the sun to your back. That way you see them them tines shining. They'll be like a sheen on them antlers. If you try to walk into the sun, everything's kind of mirrored. Kind of looks all the same color. Yeah. Put that sun to your back. It makes a real difference. So when I walk in somewhere, I'm walking the sun to my back. Okay, I, now I'm at high noon or something, so now I'm swinging and I'm coming back to the truck as the sun's going the other direction. So I've got the sun to my back going another way. Or sometimes even the same way because I've walked by antlers and rode ATVs by antlers and turned around and come back an hour later. And like, how'd I miss that? My fuller track's three feet from it. <laughs> I've done that before. No, that makes sense, though, with the sun. I mean, they do have and, a machine uh, to them, and if you're, you know, looking into the sun, you're kind of handicapping yourself on what you can see. So, and you need yep. to really be paying attention to find these things. Yep. And anything better than the sun would be uh, maybe even while it's raining, when everything's all wet and flat, or after a snow is thawed, which we don't have a lot of snow this year we have, but I've, I've not found a lot in the snow, because the time our snow comes, it's usually all or nothing. It's too deep. <laughs> But when when all that grass is pressed flat, all that undergrowth is pressed flat, you'll you'll see them. They'll they'll stick out. You know, you'll really notice them then. But almost like the sunlight makes them shine, 
when they get wet in the rain, like the the wetness of the rain almost makes them shine. Okay. Right. So, but if you just those little tips like that, other than just taking off walking, yeah, I mean, it's like deer hunting. It's like Fred Bear said, "Don't hunt where you think the deer should be. Hunt where they are." Right. Same way in shed hunting. Don't go hunt over here because you think he might be there, or because that's where your deer stand was. Well, if he's not there now, he's not going to shed his antler there. Go to where he's at now. Where's he wintering? For you know, sure. He's not rutting. He's not. He's not trying to claim his domain. He's strictly just trying to recoup from the rut. No, you're 100% right there, and that's why I think my <clears throat> small property does not have very many, at least the last two springs I've not found any quite yet. Um, I mean, I was out there a week or two ago, and there's hardly any deer tracks. I think they literally up and vacate that core area. Get another mile down the road, there's all the farm fields. You know, you look out there, and the, all the tracks in the snow are and everything else. So that makes more sense. Um now, what about, like, a deep snow? Is it stupid to even try to shed hunt in a deep snow? I, I got a buddies in Iowa this year. It's already found quite a few in the snow. But, I mean, snow in Iowa is probably a little more normal than here where I'm in southern Illinois. But I think finding the snow, I mean, you definitely know where your deer are walking in because you're following the fresh tracks. That's true. And I've heard guys do that. They just get on a good hot run, and they just walk it, just follow it. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of the pictures I see – that have snow in them are when there's, you know, an inch or a half inch on the ground and the rest is like has melted away already. So it's kind of that little bit of snow. You might find some tracks, but then you see a shed antler that's barely covered and sticking straight out of the snow. Like that's what I've been seeing more of than, than less in the last, I don't know, five, ten years of social media pictures. Yeah, and when the snow's on like it is, you know, what are they doing? They're going to food. They're going to bed. Yeah, right. No, it, I mean, it makes sense. Now I mean, you're not you're not hunting them to harvest them, so you're not really pressing them. You're just you're just kind of following them around. Yeah, and and actually, some people might let you go shed hunt their property versus letting you hunt their property. So yeah, I, I my big kicker was a lot of the farmers around here. When I started shed hunting, everybody's like, "Huh, deer lose their antlers?" I mean, there's there's still guys that thought a ten point deer was ten years old, you know. <laughs> but uh. I'm like, hey, you don't need to pick some antlers up out of your fields. It'll may save you a tire. You yeah. Know, combine tires are pretty expensive. Well, a lot of the guys now run tracks, so I can't really use that anymore for bargaining. But, but shed hunting used to not be too big a deal. And I can still get permission in some places. But as the hunting industry's blowed up and things have gotten tighter, it's not quite as easy as it was when I was younger. But when I was younger, I was, you know, the only one around here doing it. You know, there's a few older guys do it. But, uh, you know, there's, there's guys I know that have just, Often collections, and you see guys in the magazines or TV that have just astronomic collections. But I'm nowhere near that. I've got a few hundred, you know. At one time, I had like 29 match sets, and I don't even have them all a lot of times. You had 29 match sets? Wow. Something like that. I've I've got some that I found at other people's property, and when they let me shed hunt on them, and they want them, I give them to them. I mean, I get the credit for it, you know, take a picture of me, but... But I have given away quite a few sets. Um, one set I gave away was a big set. And a cool story with that, talking about putting trying to put a storyline with the buck. It was a buck that we didn't even get a chance to hunt. It was over just as quick as it started. My buddy found a big shed and brought it by my house. It was a great big old palmated, just, you know, Boone and Crockett side. I'm like, where has this deer been? Because we hunt right in this area. And he was just holding tight. He's like, I don't know, but they searched for like two or three days and found the other side. 
So he brought the other side, like three trucks pull my driveway, hang antlers out the door, you know, so we get the tape measure out and kind of estimate it. A lot of times if I want to kind of guess a spread, I'll put the sheds on my kneecap, you know, and I'm not going to like try to make it like a 38-inch spread. I mean, you can kind of get a pretty good look, you know, to kind of get what a deer might look like. But I had a scoring these sheds at like 174. I'm like, man, this Boone and Crockett, you know, where, where's he been? How did he, how did he get around it? No pictures, nothing. Holy cow. Well, like three weeks later, I'm in the same piece of timber turkey hunting on my buddy's ground. And storm's blowing in, you know, tornado signs are going off. The wife's calling me, where are you at? And I'm taking the gobbler. <laughs> you know, I'm not leaving. It's a gobbler gobbling. You know, he's gobbling the thunder. She's like, get home now. I'm like, no. Well, that didn't go over too well. But <laughs> So I'm running back to the truck and the storm's blowing in. And I get up on this ridge, south-facing slope, under a cedar tree, and there lays two antlers. And they're nice, but they're chewed up the year before. And they was the match set from the buck the year before that Andy just found this year, right? So now we got two sets off the same deer in like three weeks. And the set that I found was like 157, 159, and the set that he found was like 174. So it was like... We just put a storyline together in three weeks of a buck that we did not know existed. Wow. So as the summer's going, we're like, yes, okay, we know he's around. Okay, what else we got? We know he's around. Well, all of a sudden somebody's seen him and said he wasn't acting right. So I was like, well, that don't sound good. And two days later, they found that buck laying in a pond dead from VHD. Oh, and no. he ended up, that rack ended up going like 169. He didn't have the big palmated side he had there before. So here's a buck that we didn't even know existed, and now we got two years of shed stewing, and now the neighbors got the got him, and it's just like, you know, it was over before it started. We didn't even get a chance to hunt him. That's it's, crazy. It's just, that's yeah, pretty cool, that's though, how way. you can, you know, like you we were saying earlier, put the puzzle together. You know you're finding antlers to deer you didn't even know were there. I mean, trail cameras do, do not catch everything. And uh, and uh, the show. just because a deer's got a drop time one year does not mean he's gonna have it the next year. Okay. Or a kicker. Some guys argue with that, but you can lay sheds up, and a lot of times they do. You know, the kickers match, the brow tines match, the grain and the antler matches, um, the pedicle matches. You, I mean, you spend enough time with them, you, you know what's going on. You know, some people try to talk you out of that, but I have seen deer that's through kickers, and the next year didn't, and I've seen them as those. Drop times the next year didn't. Okay. Um, now, what do you know about... Story. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Another quick story. I got in a buck. I called the little 10. He really wasn't that little, but he was wintering. Season was out. He's coming in behind my house into his grass patch. And I kept seeing him. He had a real red tent to him, a real red coat, so he stood out. Well, like two or three days a week, he's coming behind the house, and he was with some does and eating and being stubble-filled and going to bed. It was like Valentine's Day that year. I'm doing dishes, looking out the kitchen window, and he steps out, and here's this red-coated deer with no antlers. I'm like, that is him. So the next day, I walked back there, and they laid both antlers right there in the bean field. They were 147. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it was right there. The whole. I mean, I watched him. You know, that's a good indication to go look for antlers. I just waited until they dropped, and I don't have to pick them up. Well, to your testament about trail cameras, I mean, Coolest thing I see in my backyard is like an albino squirrel. So I think you got me beat there. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> now, uh, how about shed dogs? We haven't covered shed dogs at all. Uh, you know anything about those? A little bit. A lot of guys have got them. 
I know a real big name is Tom Dawkins. I never met him, but I know he he trains, and I believe he even does a segment on on one of the TV shows. But was that that dog it, bone it, product or whatnot? Yeah, there is a big deal of shed dogs. I believe now they even have competitions of shed dogs, like you would with big old dogs and rabbits. I mean, it's it's a big sport. It's kind of blowed up. Yeah. Uh, some guys around here got a few dogs they've trained. You know, I got a buddy who's got wine riders. He had one that would that pick up sheds here and there. Nothing else would just take the dog with you. He was walking. But I've been with other people who just took their dog with us for a walk, and the dog started picking them up, and it was like, shoot, can I borrow your dog? You know. <laughs> That's another thing. If you've got a dog that you don't think is going to run off and leave you out there, and your wife's not going to rip on you. If you lose the dog, take him with you because they don't tell what they're going to drag up. Nice. That's a, yeah, that's a good idea. I didn't think about that. Um, I mean, the, the I don't know much about shed hunting or the, or the dogs, but they do make a kit, I believe, where you get like a fake antler uh, or you can just use a real antler, I guess, and they have some scent that you put on it, uh, train your dog to to find the shed and apparently with enough training or just enough finds under the dog's belt and get out there and, and you, I mean, I think it's a great idea to be honest with you because I'm terrible at finding morels and sheds. So that would be uh, maybe something up my alley. Yep, I've seen a lot of the training kits, whether it be a real antler or a fake antler, a lot of times they'll they'll uh, cut the tines down because, you know, I've ever guys' theories of a young pup would almost hurt himself trying to pounce on the antler. You know. Oh yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's pretty extensive. I mean, if you do some research, get the old interweb going, some Google. I mean, there's quite a bit <laughs> out there on shed dogs. I mean, there's it's a pretty big deal now. I myself do not have one as much as I love a shed hunt. Just I don't know. I got an inside dog, and yeah, this is one of those. If I lose her, my wife never let me hear the end of it. So I don't get to take her shed hunting with me. Well, I got a couple dogs. Might be able to fill that gap. But <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, the other interesting things that we might know about shed hunting or have learned about shed hunting, I've learned that it can be illegal to pick up sheds in some places. My buddy Jake just moved to uh, Tennessee and he was reading that it is illegal to take some sheds out of some of the game management units down there that are state-owned or whatever. So, Yep, that is correct. It also follows me here in Illinois on some sites. Really? Yeah, you need to check or ask or make sure. Because yeah, uh, some of that's considered state property. Wow. In some states, some states out west, they even have a shed season because they don't want you in there romping through the the brush and the mountainsides looking for sheds and spooking the elk herd out when the elk are trying to winter. So oh they, wow! They said they set a date and a season for it. I think some of them you got to buy a license for it. Really? I mean, and that's uh, right. They have a season open, and the season's late enough that the that the elk have have shedded and they, they've moved on, you know, warmer temperatures or whatever, whatever it is, the elk going up or down. So you don't go in there and just blow them out of their, out of their winter feeding pattern and stress them out and make, make it harder on them. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's crazy. I, uh, I didn't know there's anything like that. And one thing I was reading as well is DNR in some states will actually set up like a decoy shed, an actual shed out in the middle of a two track or, or wherever it's pretty obvious. And, uh, Kind of like they do here with the with the fake deer out in the field waiting for poachers. They'll uh, do the same thing with sheds for shed hunters yeah. or shed yeah. poachers. If that's There's definitely a market for it, but, I mean, that's that's not why I do it. Right. I mean, someday maybe it might have a collection worth something, that you know, but I don't plan on it. I just like to be able to walk, look for my antlers. And, you know, I, don't, I used to write the dates on them. I quit doing that years ago, but 
I can't tell you all the years, but I can almost tell you where every one of them sheds come from. <laughs> Funny how that works. And just kind of look down at him and, you know, or, or yeah, here's a shed. Oh, yeah, he's out there on the wall in the shop. You know, I, I shot him two years later. I shot him a year later. You know, here, here's his match shed from the year before. And then you start putting sheds together and you get a collection over, you know, a five, six-year span. And I can show you, like, this buck here had a split G2. You know, and this buck here had a double brow. Okay, here three years later, look at this deer. He had a split G2 and double brow. So, like, you almost start putting, like, the whole family tree together. Whenever you can actually stay on top of it and start building that storyline, you can kind of start seeing where where that buck may have got his swooping main beam or where this buck, you know, got his drop tine at. You can kind of start putting together the curvatures. And, you know, like, one of my genetic lines is a real tall high eight. And you go a couple of years, and I've had seven-pointers for years, bad, three-by-fours. And then all of a sudden, one year they're not there, and the next year you got another real tall high rack eight. And I was at my shop a while ago, and I got one big shed that I found probably four or five years ago. It's a big one. It's a 68-inch four-point side. It's got 14-inch G2s on it. And uh, then I found a shed last year that just lays in identical to it. Main beam swoops up. The, 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 the color is the same. You know, the character on the base, all the knobs, they're all rubbed down the same. I mean, it's definitely a genetic line. Whether it's his daddy or his uncle, I mean that's just all theory and all guessing. But you can lay these things side by side and start building a story with them, and you start seeing where certain things are coming from and where they're mixed. But I'm talking about this is years, you know, ten years of of running cameras and food plotting and shed hunting and, and building these stories. Not something I walk out there like one day and pick up like thirty ounces. Right. I Man, there's days I walk miles and don't find nothing, and then all of a sudden one day I'll have thirty minutes. I'll jump out of a truck, walk a fence, and pick up three. You know, it's just, it's hit and miss. Yeah, and, you know, it's it gets guys outside, uh, you know, unless you're an ice fisherman like I am or a habitat guru, you know, you're probably not doing anything too crazy right now. So it's, it's a good way to get outside and, like you said, scout. Uh, you know, keep in mind that where these deer are wintering and dropping their antlers might not be the same place where they are in October or November. So... You might find sheds and think, oh, it's a great spot. But then again, when it comes hunting season, they might be totally somewhere else. So I know I heard, I think, Jeff Sturgis say that one time, and it made a lot of sense. And, and if first you find sheds I, you know, in one certain spot, you know, next year, go back to that spot. Why would you yeah, not? Right. They're just like, right, honey. And 100%. also the time frame, you know, if, if especially if you're chasing one buck and he sheds here, like the story I just told about the buck that got ESD and died. It ended up being two years of his sheds were laying there in a 200-yard circle. That deer was holding tight. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yep. It just, okay, it's I like found this shed rooms. here. Yeah, I found this shed here on February 27th. But I tell you what, by March 5th, I'm going to be back there again. Right. And when a deer holds, when the year that the deer hold late, it really sucks getting into March because there's, you're, if you've never turkey hunted and seen a buck still carrying an antler, you've not turkey hunted very long. <laughs> They're still holding, yeah, right? It. Yeah. Actually, I passed two bucks today. Uh, it's almost the end of February. Two bucks today. Small bucks with a holding both sides here in Michigan. Well, as that undergrowth starts getting green and all that new stuff starts coming up in the spring, it makes it really hard to find antlers then. Yeah, that's true. So the years they hold late, it just it is what it is. Like I said, every year will be different. Nothing will be the same. 
the, you know, keep in mind your location, keep in mind the time frames, you know, a rainy day, a slight drizzle, sun to your back, binoculars, and uh, just walk and walk. And if you walked it once, go back next week and walk it again. Come from a different direction and walk it again because you will walk something and walk right by one. I mean, it happens a lot. They'll be hanging in trees, hanging in fences. You you will walk by them. That's Some awesome, guys man. even do a grid, do a grid of their property. You know, go 10 yards and walk north and south and then turn around and go east and west every 10 yards, do like a solid grid. And that's, I mean, you're, you're fine-tooth combing at that point. But if you're looking for especially a Pacific buck, that's the kind of thing you need to do grid it out and just pound the ground and pound the ground and stomp the brush and you'll find them but i mean you see some guys they'll be like oh i, I average about one for every eight miles i mean that, that's true you'll walk 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 and find nothing and the next day you'll find four and then but you will do a lot more walking than you will finding sheds but <laughs> yep disclaimer up front i love it Mhm. well cool man i think we you know covered a bunch there on you know, shed hunting 101, 102, 201. I love it. Uh, if guys want to hear more from you, Jordan Hanks, follow along with your shed season, your your habitat season, your your bow and gun season. Where do they get a hold of you at? Man, you can always reach me on Facebook and also uh, on Outdoor Devotion website. If you get a chance, take a take a look at this uh, the March edition this year, 19's uh, Buckmaster Magazine, Iraq Magazine you'll be able to see a story on my deer and if you want to see the more length and in-depth story, check it out on OutdoorDevotion.com you can kind of thumb through that and see quite a bit of stories actually on on some guys kind of covering a big a big area, not just north or south, you know, there's a few of us on there and, and, and different really just different terrains, different everything, you know, what you hunt up there is a lot different than what I hunt down here, so right. It's kind of cool to read them stories and kind of see how, how other people do certain things. But uh, definitely out there. And, you know, any questions, message me, private message me, anything. I'd be happy to answer anything. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I uh, really appreciate you shedding some light, no pun intended. And uh, another episode in the books, guys. Jordan Hanks from Illinois. Thanks for coming on, brother. Really do appreciate it, and I learned a ton. Hopefully the listeners did as well. I would also like to thank the listeners for coming back once again. We love you guys and, and love that you keep listening and sending in great feedback, and it really keeps us going, and, and just we really appreciate it. So thank you to the listeners. Uh, guys, I want to mention that email giveaway one more time. Go on HabitatPodcast.com where you can find all of our episodes, but you can also submit your email address online there. We'll get that information, and at the end of March, we're going to give away a prize that only the email subscribers can win. So go on there, submit your email, and then you'll also be notified of each new podcast as it comes out. In the next few episodes, we're going to cover habitat management from normal guys. We have two guys, both uh, Midwest residents, coming on talking about their farms and the work they have done. So tune in for that in the next couple of weeks, guys. Also, if you want to listen to more of our episodes and subscribe, iTunes is a great place for it. Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean iHeartRadio, Facebook, and Instagram. We're on both of those at Habitat Podcast, and even YouTube. Been putting some more stuff on YouTube lately as well. Guys, thank you so much. I want to thank our sponsors one more time: Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, Dip That Hydrographics, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, 
and the Packer Max line of Culta Packers. All great products. If you guys like what we're doing here at the Habitat Podcast, please be sure to reach out and tell them. Many of them have discounts for podcast listeners if you just mention the podcast. So be sure to check them out. Tune in next week for another episode of the Habitat Podcast as we are here to become better Habitat Managers.